Come on. Welcome to Life Blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Luke Aragoni. Luke, are you ready to do this? Let's go. Let's let's go. Luke is the CEO and principal data scientist with Aracor AI. They're helping companies build state-of-the-art machine learning and artificial intelligence programs. Luke, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, I am married with three kids in Seattle, um, and I build machine learning programs. And I've done this for a swath of companies from startups uh, to very large companies and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I really enjoy kind of the, the state of the art and being able to, to bring that to, to different groups these days. Nice. So I was, I was perusing your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you were working on blockchain way before the rest of the world realized that blockchain was a thing. Yeah, that was, it, it was kind of fascinating. There's been so many kind of ebbs and flows with blockchain. It's been something that's been uh, you know, largely discarded a decade ago to a few years ago, there was a huge spike and then it was forgotten again. And then in the last year, it's just big again. And I think, um, several years ago when there was that huge, uh, uplift, uh, it was great being able to be one of the development teams on that. Yeah. Interesting. So when I hear machine learning and artificial artificial intelligence, I think I have no idea what that means. It can mean just giant. It can mean – so what What does that mean? You, you know, you're not far off. I think when most people hear AI, ML, they think you know, a spaceship going up somewhere, a robot folding your laundry. Um, <laughs> but the reality is it's actually something that's far more practical, which is – People will actually build machine learning to do a very simple task, right? It might be being able to categorize a package that's going out, or it might be able to say, uh, you know, what kind of thing is in this image? It's actually things that are quite mundane and boring, but when you bring them together, you can automate uh, lots of laborious tasks. Okay. So it's a function of if I can conceive it, it can be built kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, I think the the only rules around it are around data, right? If you if I don't have data, I can't do anything because we teach these machines. Uh, we call it machine learning. You know, colloquially, it sounds like we're sitting down and talking to a machine. Uh, and in a way, we are. What we're saying is we say, here's the data. Here are all these examples of something that I want you to predict. And then we use math to help that machine get to that place. Uh, without that data, we don't have a language to teach these machines. So... Essentially, if you have a whole treasure trove of data on something and you want to do a prediction within that data, uh, yeah, you, you can sit down and build something kind of cool. Nice. So we need the input. And I imagine that there's probably organizations out there that are drowning in this information, though. They're like, okay, I've got all this info. Now what? Yeah, your intuition is spot on. There are companies that, that have this treasure trove we talk about, but they don't really know what to do with it, right? It's kind of sitting out there uh, in the void. Maybe it's a little dirty and that's kind of scattered, and they, they know that there's, there's a system somewhere that's collecting it. Um, but at the end of the day, they need to figure out if they have that predictive value. And so what they can do is they can hire a company uh, to do what we call discovery, 
where you say, you know what, I have all this data, it's out there, it's ready to go, but you know, I need to figure this out. Well, you would hire a firm that would go through that and say, I kind of have an idea. And that's the first step for a lot of these large companies or even small companies with huge amounts of data. So there's organizations that actually will look at everything and say, here's sort of what you got. Here's maybe what you think you got, but you don't. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, selflessly, I'll, I'll say that, you know, that's what we do at Aircore. But there are, there are other companies out there as well. Largely, you'll find with AI ML Consulting, um, this will be one of the first steps uh, on a standardized process almost these days. Okay. Well, let's just walk through that process. Yeah. So um, you basically have a lot of data. And oftentimes, you're in a mid-level managerial position and you've uh, been basically given a budget to do something cool. And I'm not joking when I say that oftentimes they're given the uh, the command to do something cool with the data. <laughs> and that's kind of the state, right? That's that's all right. And so, um, you know, there might be discovery that you do on your team, but ultimately you would reach out to a company like mine and you would say, hey, what do you think is possible? And we'd look through the data, we'd look at your business, we'd ask about what your customers are concerned with or pain points. We'd really try to understand the fundamentals of your business because we know you don't care about the math, right? And then once we have that firm grip, on your business, then we could say, okay, we know that your customers are struggling with blank. Did you know that your data contains the answer for that? Why don't we build an ML model and we connect the dots and we wow your customers? So what are some of those? Are, are there through lines or does it always depend when we know your customers are blank? What is blank a lot of the time? Um, so like, here's a good example. Sometimes uh, if you're an e-commerce shop, you have this kind of window shopping experience where people maybe like your brand, but they don't necessarily know what to buy from you. Uh, this happens when you have, you know, uh, uh, kind of a, a very specific product that you sell or a specific feel or a brand that you've cultivated with your following. And what we can do is say, you know, uh, this person is like a thousand other people that came before that really enjoyed X product, right? Whatever that product may be. Maybe, you know, it's a coffee mug, right? But it's a coffee mug that has your cool emblems on it. And so what we can say is they go window shopping, we could detect with machine learning and say, hey, this is now a window shopper in real time using machine learning. And then we could say, okay, this window shopper is like this cohort of people that love the coffee mug. So when they're browsing through, let's put the coffee mug at the top. And now this is all very seamless. Like I said, it's, a, it's an orchestration of little tiny boring things to make something cool. So now I'm a customer on your site and suddenly out of nowhere, like magic, the thing I've always wanted now appears. It's, there's no fanfare to it. It's just right there. And a lot of times companies like Amazon have these things built. Um, but now small companies can build these same things uh, using machine learning. Amazing. All right. So when we talk about companies have treasure trove of of data is it data or data luke i've heard it both ways <laughs> i really i i've never i'll never correct anyone on it because even i don't know and i've heard it said <laughs> the different ways for the last 15 years so okay nice. i might even use two different versions in the same conversation so i, I appreciate that where so so this mid-level manager has a budget they come to you and they say hey i've been told to do something cool where is all of this data living so great question. A lot of times it's stored in um, in a database that's used for a completely different purpose. 
And that by itself is challenging, right? You're like, I can't go and touch the thing that is running our store or running a warehouse, right? Like you, you can't mess with that. We have to pull it out first into something safe. Um, but oftentimes it's an output of transactional data. That's the a term we use for when you go to a store and you buy something and then there's a cart and it gets saved. And when that, all that gets shoved into a database somewhere and no one knows what to do with it. All that transactional database or data from the database is typically what we look at first. Got it. All right. And so you can you can safely extract this information or locate it and you say, okay, well, it turns out you have information about what, how long people are spending, what they're actually looking for, really just, I mean, it's your job to sort of interpret this language of, of numbers and stuff like that and to help people understand in an easy to understand and digestible format. Uh, and then make decisions about things. Absolutely. Um, it it really is our job to make it so that we are a, there for your business and you don't even think about the math. We don't want to be magicians, right? We want to be able to explain what we're doing. But at the same time, we don't want to bog down the process of you wowing your customers um, by us saying, here's a math lesson in linear algebra. So we want to be able to remove that part so we can all have fun and build something cool together. Yeah. So... Do you come back and I imagine you do your best to figure out how people like to make decisions about things and say sort of here's a download of what we have, here's some different thoughts and, and observations on what you potentially could do? And Yeah, spot on. Um, we Out of discovery comes this idea, a project is born. And the project should be at a place where you can take it to one of my competitors. Like it should be a fully formed thing, right? And it should be... This is the data we have. This is maybe even a prototype we built or designs around what we have. And we think that we can get it to this place. Is this a place you think would have value in your business? And if you can come to a, uh, you know, a place with your budget and with your time and your resource and you say, yeah, this makes sense, then we're on. We have a fun project ahead of us. Got it. Okay, nice. And how 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 intense is that on your end from a, a a human being working like how 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 is it actually being made on on your end if that's an appropriate yeah question? No, no, we can go let's dive a little bit deeper into it then um <clears throat> so when we get all the data through of course lots of ndas are signed we make sure that you know we're completely insured so if you're afraid we're going to leak it or anything you could sue the hell out of us like there's a lot of the legal side that we've thought through over the last decade to make everyone safe in this experience. Um, so once the data comes to us, uh, we're, we're basically at a point where we say, we know their business because we've interviewed with them a lot around like what they're concerned about. Let's go diving to try and figure it out. And so let's talk about the, the coffee mug, right? If they say, you know what, we have these window shoppers, they leave our site, they never convert, but we know that they want something, we just don't know what. We go and we find a way to categorize, um, can we classify who they are? Right? So we look and say, hey, these people on this data set all fit into this model, and this, these people fit into that model. Um, so let's build a little model real quickly, and maybe it's only 80% accurate. That's not really that great, but it's enough for us to start saying, I think this could be 95% if the client had the resources to do so. And so then we'll mark that and say, okay, that's the first project. What's another problem that they have? And then we'll go and do it all over again. Basically, we try to get to a place where we think we can build something uh, using the data and the evidence they've given us uh, initially. Nice. Okay. And I, I suppose it's it, it's all relative, but 
when when you get back together and you say, okay, you, you have this conversation about what's possible, and they say, oh, this is amazing. Wow, awesome. We would like to do that. Is there a, a time frame that's that's customary, or does it just depend to actually bring the thing to life? It, it is very relative, but you know what? Let's give real numbers just so people have something to go on, right? Uh, oftentimes, you, we think about discovery as being about a month, maybe six weeks. We think about a prototyping period as being uh, roughly under six months. So I would say most most clients are comfortable with like a one to three month prototyping. And prototyping is you take the discovery and you're like you get as you run as far as you can to that 95% accuracy, right? And then the last stage is what we call productionizing, and that's when the prototype does exactly what we think it does, and it does it really well, and everyone is now comfortable. You have other people in your organization sold, and you use us to do that selling because oftentimes if we've built this then you need us to go and talk to a different team and say how cool it is so they get excited too so it goes out to prod. And then we make it so that when it is in production, it's safe. So we're not recommending you know, a, uh, a, you know, a wrong product to your customers and then it's you know, deleterious to your brand. Right? We do all of that testing. Uh, we make sure that it's stable so your site doesn't go down when it tries to access it. And uh, I would say that the longest part is probably the most boring, but it's making sure that this thing lives seamlessly in your environment. And that can take up to six months as well. So a lot of these projects, you know, you think three months to about a year. Got it. Make sure it lives seamlessly in your environment so that it doesn't escape and destroy everything, Luke. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've seen a lot of these, these products and uh, people get really excited and then they push them out. And then they perform very poorly or they're unstable uh, because it's not the normal. We call it a stack when it's written in one kind of language. right? So it's maybe not in their normal stack. And, uh, and we, of course, don't do that. We try to write everything in the stack that the customer has. But we've seen it before where someone will kind of rush something out and they'll put it on a, on a, on a server somewhere. And then suddenly like um, a system that was working stably before is now you know, usurped by this new system that is – you know, crashing every day, right? And so the excitement around ML kind of goes away when everyone else in your organization doesn't care about it as much, but does care about the fact that they're getting more customer complaints, right? So uh, when we say seamlessly, we make it so that no one really cares about it unless you want them to, right? Unless you want to highlight this feature in a newsletter, look at this cool window shopping feature we've built for you. But for most people, uh, at least most of my clients, they really don't want customers totally aware they want it to feel like just part of that experience they have within their product. Yeah, that's a great point, right? You don't want it to be intrusive. You just, you don't want it just, you said it better than I can sum it up. So nice. So I listened to a podcast, uh, the Tim Ferriss show and Eric Schmidt from um, X Google was on and he was talking about the future of artificial intelligence. And I was like, oh my gosh, we are in giant trouble as human beings, your thoughts? Yeah, there's probably, uh, I know everyone wants to bifurcate the world, right? There's one of two types, but I'm going to do it right now. Yes. There's one of two types of people in AI, right? And you have one camp that says um, AI is going to destroy the world, right? It's going to become sentient. And you have like people like Elon Musk in this category, right? And they're, they're very vocal about how big and important machine learning is going to be and how it's going to change a lot of our patterns. Um, and then you have a different camp that looks at, at that and says, maybe, probably, um, but definitely not anytime soon. And I'm definitely in that camp. I'm in the camp of 
Um, people like that probably don't have a practical knowledge of how far um, ML is today. They have kind of an executive knowledge, right? And so I know that sounds funny ta saying that Elon may not have like uh, the most hands-on, but we all know that he's not down in the, the weeds building these models, right? Uh, these machine learning models. Um, but uh, the practical reality is that AI has decades to go before we have to worry about it. And in the meantime, you know, I have a Tesla. I would love for my car to actually drive itself, right? <laughs> it really doesn't. And so that that highlights this. We have, you know, some people out there talking about how it's going to destroy the world. And yet even their own products struggle to make good on the very simple ML AI uh, promises they've made. Um, I hope I'm not too critical of anyone, but uh, um, I just I hope when people hear those kinds of like glorious headlines, the reality is like everyone struggles with it. Even Elon struggles with AI right now. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. So I appreciate I appreciate that perspective. Did you say that on one side people say that yes, it is going to eat the world, and then the other side you said maybe, probably it is. <laughs> yes, you picked that up. I I think it's inevitable, right? But I mean, there's a lot of things in our in our reality that are inevitable, right? That's sure. that we basically have to say when do we make decisions on it, right? And like, so everyone in the world is struggling with global warming, right? If everyone in the world was aware that it would happen in the next six months. There'd be massive changes, right? We'd all like never drive a car again, right? But we don't know if it'll happen in the next 600 years or the next six months. We just have estimations. Same thing with AI, right? It's the timeline that matters. Like, for instance, if I told you that Google was going to go bankrupt, that would be worthless knowledge unless you knew which quarter mm. and which financial year they were going to go bankrupt, right? You'd either say, well, I guess I'll sell the stocks now and, you know, that's medium. But if you knew that in Q4, of 2023, you would short. You'd buy all the cheap shorts right now on Google. So timing matters, right? And uh, I think it is inevitable that AI will eat a lot of our um, a lot of our tasks, a lot of our labor. Sentience is a question mark, I think, for most people. But um, it definitely is going to wow and scare people in the future. But how far that future is from today is something I think that is greatly debated. Yeah, I appreciate that. I like it. Well, Luke, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm often tasked with building really complex things or designing complex things. And uh, I used to really struggle with sitting down and being like an eight-hour block of trying to design. Uh, that never really happened. And so I started chunking off parts into my calendar. So if I had a really huge task, I'd just think, you know, what are the, you know, the, the five things that make up this task? And I'd actually schedule things as ridiculous as like lunch or a 15 minute break. And so when I sat down to do deep work, uh, I have almost a calendar list that I'm going through and like the appointments are coming through my, my calendar saying, this task should be about this done. And when I'm behind, I can start adjusting that. And so uh, I guess that the big tip is, you know, if you have a huge thing in front of you, don't try to eat it all at once. Definitely try to break it down into smaller parts and use your calendar as a good system for that. Uh, it's been a very effective tool for me. Well, I think that that is great stuff. It definitely gets come on. Eat an elephant one bite at a time. So that is music to my ears right there. And actually scheduling things in is such a simple but massively powerful thing. So well said. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming. Luke, Eric. Aragoni kind of seems like Eric. Anyway. Don't worry. Did you want to just say the line over? I'll, I'll pause. No, <laughs> no we're going to leave that one in for sure. Let's do it. Luke. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and how can they engage with Ericor? Uh, you know, you can reach out to me on my site or, you know, a lot of people just will directly message me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you can message anyone that you find from, from Ericor on LinkedIn or through email and, um, you know, all roads will lead back to me. So, uh, you could call us of course at 213-ERICOR, but most people don't have a phone or want to call anymore. So, uh, feel free to shoot us an email or a chat or just connect on LinkedIn. Excellent. And I forgot to ask, um, are there certain size organizations that you prefer to work with? Yeah, oftentimes we're aligned with people uh, that are medium to enterprise size. If you're a startup, that's great. We often will offer guidance. You know, we'll do a little bit of counsel that way. But typically, you're you know these these projects are are in six figure in nature, and so they um, they range in that medium to enterprise size companies. Got it. Give me the website again, please. That's ericor.com. A r r i c o r dot com. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Luke your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to ericor.com. That's A-R-R-I-C-O-R.com and check out all the great resources and reach out to figure out what you can do with all that data. Thanks again, Luke. Thanks for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together. <laughs>